Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. So the reading this morning is from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Well, good morning, Elm City. How are you guys? Looking dapper on this Sunday morning. It is so good to see you. As Aria said, my name is Justin. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to do so after our service. I'll be just out front uh, hanging outside on this beautiful day. It looks gorgeous out there already. I'm so thankful to be with you uh, again this week. We are uh, concluding chapter two uh, of the letter to the Ephesian church uh, written by Paul. Uh, before I jump in, though, I, I just want to um, uh, take a moment to recognize uh, that this past Friday morning, uh, Dr. Tim Keller went home to be with Jesus. And uh, if you've been around me for any length of time, you would know that I'm, in fact, uh, extremely touched by this man. Uh, both Albie and I were uh, speaking this, this week um, via text. He's still on sabbatical. Um, and uh, we were just talking, and I think both of us came to realize that I think Tim Keller has had the single most impact on both of us as a pastor, author, and speaker. Uh, If you've been around for any length of time, even if you were around at Praxis Church Days, the first church uh, that we planted uh, early uh, 2013, uh, circa, um, you know, people would get annoyed by how many times I'd quote Tim Keller. (laughs) And I just want to let you know I'm going to keep doing that. (laughs) Nothing has changed except that Uh, Tim is now face-to-face with his Redeemer, and we are so thankful for his ministry. You know, one of the things that Tim helped me do at a very pivotal time in my life in college was he helped me to untangle uh, a lot of the legalistic and religious baggage that I had through the lens of grace. And it was through his writings that I was able to see um, Jesus more clearly, which can be really hard for a church kid sometimes. Um, but I'm grateful to have gotten to see Tim speak um, at a conference in Boston after we moved back to New Hampshire, um, not long after we uh, landed here in Keene. And I just will be forever uh, grateful for the impact that he's had on me um, as, a, uh, as a person and uh, as a pastor. So uh, why don't we, will you join me in just praying for his family real quick? Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for the life and ministry of Dr. Tim Keller. We ask that you would now be with his a family who are undoubtedly grieving yet with glorious hope because they know where their father is and they know that he is face-to-face with Jesus himself, the one that he proclaimed so clearly and boldly in our generation. I pray that people will come to know you as a result of his life into the future. And we pray a special blessing on his church community redeemer in New York. Uh, we pray that you would just be with that community and uh, we, we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, as I said, we find ourselves at the end of chapter two in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, 
In previous weeks, we've explored the concepts that Paul has aimed to communicate to the early church and also to us. Uh, Throughout this chapter, we have seen a contrast drawn between what we were, that is pre-Jesus by nature, which is dead in sins, children of wrath, and hostile toward and cut off from God. This is before Christ. This is what we look like. And what we have now become by his grace alone, being reconciled to God through Christ's death on a cross. We have seen that salvation is all of God, that there's nothing that we can do to work our way toward God or make ourselves acceptable to him. And even when we respond in faith, it's only because of God's initial response towards us because faith, we know, is a gift. As a result of those who responded in true repentance of sin and belief in the Lord, we are now brought into a new community, the family of God's people where there is no division as a result of race, class, ethnicity, color, sex, socioeconomic status, or language, all are equal in this new community of believers. And in our passage today, Paul is explaining what we have become as a result of having this level of peace with God. And so in verse 19 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, that would be probably pretty helpful for today since we're going to be parked and camped on this section. Paul uses three metaphors to describe us, the church. He says that we are citizens of God's kingdom that we are members of God's family, and that we are stones in God's temple. So first, we are citizens of God's kingdom. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. You know, as a citizen, you and I, if we're citizens of the U.S., have all the rights and privileges of this country that we belong to. Um, Years ago, my aunt... um, She had moved to England, and she became a British citizen after living there for a period of time. Uh, And she uh, was married uh, to a British man, and she assumed all of the rights and privileges of the UK. She got before a a panel of people, sort of renounced her U.S. uh, 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 citizenship, and was brought under the uh, Parliament umbrella. More recently, her children, my, my cousins who were at the time dual citizens uh, because of their mom, recently became full citizens of England. And so they have all the rights and privileges that go along with that. And so here in the U.S., uh, you and I, we have privileges as citizens. We have the right to vote, right? We have the right to work. Uh, We have the right to pay taxes, even though I, I would like to dismiss that right. That's a right I'd like to give back. What Paul is trying to communicate here is that regardless of where you live or grow up, if you belong to God, you are not just a citizen of your country, you are also a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this is a big deal because if you remember, last week Jeff gave an excellent message uh, talking about how Paul was writing to the Ephesian Gentiles who were, before Jesus' death on a cross, completely excluded from the nation of Israel. But now, because of Christ, the terms of admission into God's kingdom are the same for everyone. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, there must be a change in your heart. And here's how Jesus puts it in John chapter 3, verse 3. 
Speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, unless you are born again, you are not a citizen of the kingdom of God and do not have access to the rights and privileges of that nation. See, some people mistakenly think that if they simply believe that God exists or if they go to church once a week or if they grew up in a Christian home, that they are automatically citizens of his kingdom. But what God really wants is to take over the reign in a person's heart. Because when he does that, everything else will follow. Well, Paul continues on with another metaphor. Number two, he says, that we are now members of God's family. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul moves from the language of citizenship now to a metaphor of family and household. See, if you are in Christ today, if, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been brought into the family of God. And, you know, being part of the family of God isn't always easy, right? Because we have brothers and sisters. Why is this important, though, that we're brought into the family of God? Well, I think actually one of the reasons is because when God builds the church, he makes it not about me, he makes it about us. He makes it about us and not just me. If you know me at all, you know that I am passionate about the local church. I have to confess this morning, if I can do that, if I can be honest, can I be honest with you guys for a minute? Can I get on a little bit of a soapbox for a minute and then I'll get off, I promise. Uh, I have to confess that nothing gets me more annoyed and more frustrated and less than pastoral <laughs> than a professing Christian who thinks they can justifiably do Christianity without being part of a local church. Okay, there I said it. Um, I've heard things like this before. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And my response is, in my mind, most of the time, uh, it's probably safe to say that you just don't love Jesus. Because Jesus said to his followers in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And what happens when you start to look at the New Testament is you realize that in the New Testament, there are 59 one another commands that can only be lived out, can only be walked out in the context of a local church. It actually was set up this way by Jesus. There are things that you cannot do in order to be obedient to Jesus, which shows that you love Jesus unless you're connected to a local church. So if the person who thought that they could follow Jesus without being part of a local church, I think really understood the relationship that Jesus has with his church, that he literally gave his life up for it, that the church represents the relationship between us and God, and that the church is Jesus's A game to reach the world, I think you would feel differently. So the church as a family, the church as a place to belong for a Christian is not optional. 
Man, I, I, there are books being written right now about how you can be a Christian without going to church or being part of a church. Hogwash. I'm here to say it. There's no way that you can do that according to what Jesus has set up. And so we reject that idea and we invite you and others into the family of God. This is what he set up for us. This is the household that he's created. And yes, the church has its issues. It does. And you know why? Because it's a family. Let me ask you, did your family ever fight? Okay. Did you ever annoy each other? Okay. Did you ever experience disappointment in your family? Okay. Was there ever a time in your family where there was a little more bitterness than there was affection? Yeah. In your family, is it all love and no disappointment? Probably not. And it's the same with the church. We're a family. There was a story of a woman who was giving her testimony at a church and she said, before I joined the church, I just hated my brother-in-law. I hated him so much that I vowed that if he passed away, I would not go to his funeral. That's how much I hated him. And then she said, but now that I'm part of the church, I'm ready to go to his funeral any day now. <laughs> do I put that in there or do I not put that in there? That was what was going on in my mind this week. <laughs> Family is hard. Family is messy. It's dysfunctional. You know why? Because the church is people and people are messy, hard, and dysfunctional. You are the church. We are the church. If the church is simply a building that you go to once a week and not a family that you belong to and belong with, you're not seeing the church as Paul here is describing. Once we can move away from the idea that we are going to church and that we are, and that we are a part of a church, we'll begin to start seeing this more clearly. We are citizens of God's kingdom members of God's family, and number three, we are stones in God's temple. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, Paul shifts the metaphor again to describe the church as a structure. It's actually, it's interesting. He's going to try to convince us that we're not a building, we're not a temple, we're not a tabernacle, but here he's using a structure, but he does it very specifically. Paul knows that the church is no longer a building. He knows that we're not, you know, looking to reconstruct the Jerusalem temple, waiting for God to show up. He knows we're not trying to set up a tabernacle in the wilderness. It's now about belonging, but he uses a metaphor of a building as a spiritual blueprint to describe the relationship or the commonality between the various parts. Look at the way that he breaks it down. First, he says that we're built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Paul is making reference to the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And I'm going to suggest that what he's saying here is that the divine revelation about Jesus given in both the Old Testament with the apostles and confirmed by the prophets in the New Testament is our foundation because 
it's the word of God that they proclaimed. We're built upon the word of God. That's our foundation. And then he says that Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, or in some translations, the chief cornerstone. Now, the word cornerstone is, is not a term that we often use nowadays, but in ancient architecture, the cornerstone was the first stone to be placed upon the foundation. And this was the stone that determined the size and the shape and the function of the rest of the structure, the rest of the building, because it bore the weight of that building and was placed strategically where two walls would join together. And this is how they actually built the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, one stone, and I have a picture here, yep. Uh, one stone that they found in Jerusalem at the temple measured 38 feet, nine inches. Just to put that in perspective for you, this room is 44 feet across from side to side. The cornerstone for the temple in Jerusalem was 38 feet and nine inches. That's a big stone. That's a big stone for modern architecture, let alone ancient architecture. You're thinking, how do they even get that in place? It's pretty fascinating. Do a little research on cornerstones and how they're you know, built into the temple in that time. Here's what Paul is communicating to the church in Ephesus and I believe to us today. That the weight of who we are as a family rests upon Jesus. It rests upon Jesus. Jesus is at the center of everything we believe in, everything that we do. Finally, he talks about the idea that we're joined together. Um, being joined together, this thing grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The spiritual temple as I said before, is not a location. It's a people who have been fitted together in unity and built on a foundation of Christ and his word. See, God isn't building uh, single columns to hold up this structure. He's actually laying interlocking stones that fit together to support the weight. If you look at another uh, section of the wall in Jerusalem, you'll notice that these stones are strategically placed, overlapping so that they can support the weight of the structure. And that's exactly how he's describing us. We are the interlocking stones. We might not always fit together perfectly, going back to our dysfunction as a family, but we've been placed together to hold up the building. He intends for us to be built together, side by side. In fact, that's how people are going to now encounter God, whereas they once had to go to a place, they can now go to a people. That's how people are going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, not because they went to some building, but because the people of God, built together into the spiritual temple of God, carry the presence of God wherever they go. Remember, Scripture tells us that the hope of glory is Christ in you. Not Christ in a building. Not Christ in a tabernacle or a temple. God now dwells in you. He has made his dwelling place in you and in me. And in fact, it might be more accurate as we're coming in or going out today to look up at our sign that says Elm City Church, it might be a little bit more accurate for us to 
add a few words at the bottom of our sign. Elm City Church meets here. This is, this is not the church. Like this building, this room, we are so blessed by the space that we have a place to gather. But I'll tell you what, God is no more present in this room than he is in like the women's bathroom. <laughs> I'm serious. Because God dwells in the hearts of his people. No temples, no tabernacles in the wilderness. He's here. He's with us. You know what's so fascinating to me about the, you know, when we, when we understand what the church is and why it gathers, uh, I think we begin, you know, Sean alluded to this earlier. It's like, there's a uniqueness about the church gathered that happens nowhere else. Because God dwells in the hearts of people. And when they come together, God is in their midst. You can get together with any other social group you want, you know, and it may be great, it may be fun, it may bring you life. There is nothing that replaces the gathering of the saints. And I want to encourage you, if you've not seen or thought about the church in this way, the importance and the value of it, this is why Hebrews 10 tells us to never forsake the gathering so that we can draw close to each other as the day draws, draws near, so that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds what are you missing out on when you're not at the gathering? Uh, what, what is it that you contribute to the gathering when you're actually here? That's another way to think about it. It's not, not just always about, well, I wasn't there or I'm not there. It's like, what, what do we miss out on as a family when you're not here? The church is so much more than a weekly service that we go to. If we believe what Paul is saying here, we believe that God dwells in the hearts of his people and when we gather, God shows up. That's pretty powerful. No other group can say that. There's one final aspect to what Paul is describing and it's an encouragement for us as we continue to walk this journey together. In verse 22, it says, in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Notice the tense of the phrase here. You are being built. You are being built. The church is like a living building. It's still under construction. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I said we're still under construction as people? Well, that's, that plays itself right out into the idea that all of us collectively make up the church and the church collectively is still under construction. The work is not complete. God is still building his dwelling place among us by his spirit. And it's God's intention that his glory be displayed in the church. It's God's intention that his glory be seen in and through Elm City Church. What will it look like for us to carry the torch for years to come in our region for the gospel and for the kingdom of God here. We are still being built. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God to dwell by his spirit. It's God's intention that his glory be seen in our lives when we are scattered into our week from this place and when we gather back together, whether that be in homes or whether that be in this space. So our prayer today is, let it be, <laughs> to quote the Beatles. <laughs> and uh, 
Let us pray as Paul did in the very next chapter of Ephesians in in chapter three. We're going to see this in a few weeks where he prays now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.